You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bo's Nose Show. And I'm your host, Westland County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. And, you know, I, I usually try and be pretty upbeat, but I tell you, the last two days of board meetings, it's pretty hard to stay upbeat. Um, and and I, I just... I'm going to get that out there right now, so if I'm a bit crabby uh, and a bit reactive today, it's it's been a tough couple days, and it's been a long couple days of board meetings. Oh, my gosh. Our morning board meeting ran into lunch 45 minutes, which left it, you know, a very short time to get lunch yesterday, and everybody wanted to call and talk to me because of what was happening in the morning. And then the afternoon board meeting ran long, and, and executive session ended after 5 o'clock carried some stuff over to the next day, started back up at nine o'clock and ran into lunch again. You know, so it, you know, not only was it things weren't, didn't go very well, things weren't real good. Uh, it, it was long and tiring. It just, oh my gosh, I, I just have to say, I, I can finally talk about something that I was dying to talk about the last two shows, but couldn't because it was stuff that was done in executive session behind closed doors, and um, I'm not supposed to talk about that stuff. But yesterday, one of the things that happened was I, and one of the things that probably delayed the meeting somewhat, was I asked the board to waive our privilege for those two executive sessions I wanted to talk about. And lo and behold, I got two other board of commissioners to agree with me, um, and two that voted against it, which that was Commissioner Heather Buck and Commissioner Lori Trigger, voted against being transparent because what I asked for was I felt that we may have unintentionally violated public meetings laws, and the way to remedy that was to make those meetings public to limit our, our ability to be sued over that. Because one of the things people don't understand is if you knowingly and willfully violate public meetings laws, as an elected official, you can be held personally liable if you just do it in the course of your job. You're not personally liable. People can still sue, but they're suing the agency that you're a public official for. But if you knowing and willfully do something, you're personally liable. And it's pretty hard for anyone from Lane County government to not say they know about public meetings law because we basically became famous statewide over the dumb die versus Rob Handy lawsuit on public meetings laws over the book club and all that shenanigans where they were trying to get personal assistance while at the same time cutting jail beds. 
secret meetings. But I asked for that. Two of the commissioners voted with me. They did not agree with me that we made a decision and maybe violated public meetings laws, but they felt in in the the idea of transparency that they would vote with me. That was Pat Farr and Joe Bernie. Two commissioners voted no, which means they didn't believe in transparency or maybe had something to hide on those tapes. They didn't like something they said in that session, didn't want the session to be made public. Um, But, you know, Heather Buck, anti-transparency vote there. Uh, So regardless, I can finally talk about it. And what were we doing in those executive sessions? Something that the public is really concerned about and our employees. We were talking about vaccine mandates for our employees and whether or not we were going to institute one. And if we did, which kind of mandate we were going to implement, which is why I think there's no way you can listen to those tapes and say that the Board of Commissioners did not make a decision in those two closed-door meetings. The beginning of the first meeting started out with a presentation on five options around vaccine mandates. By the end of the two meetings, we had one option we were moving forward with and had approved, I I didn't approve, the rest of the board did, draft language on the policy to implement that mandate. Now, the five options we were presented went from the take no action option, which was the one I supported, to requiring, you know, twice semi-weekly testing to uh, vaccination with alternatives to requiring vaccination with limited alternatives to requiring vaccination with no alternatives. That's the alternative they chose. So in the spectrum, the board supported the most restrictive alternative, which in the analysis basically said was most likely to cause you know, uh, employees to leave employment was the most likely to create litigation, possibly, and was a high likelihood that our unions would demand to bargain the change in policy. But basically, and at one point, the chair even used the language for one that that's what was supported. Now, whether you agree with vaccine mandates or not, which I don't, you know, one of the things that that they justified this mandate is we had, because we're the public health agency, we have to show leadership. And I, I, I asked the question, what kind of leadership is it to people to do something versus convince them to do something? You know, it is that leadership. I also asked the question, how much damage are we doing to to getting the general public to accept vaccination when they see we have to force workers at the public health authority to get the vaccine or lose their job, threat of losing their jobs? It doesn't build trust. 
Mandates don't build trust. That I just there's nothing good about doing a mandate. But that's where we went. But whether you support the mandate or not, the problem was all of this discussion, all of the data presented to the board for to make our decision, the deliberations that happened amongst the board where we talked about what we supported or didn't support and ultimately gave our, our blessings or non-blessings to various options, even if it wasn't in an official vote in motion, a quorum of the board was present and we expressed a majority opinion of which option we were going with and that option moved forward. So I doubt you can say we didn't make a decision. That's the problem. I don't care if you agree with which option we picked or not. The fact that we did it behind closed doors was an issue and particularly an issue for me because I was elected on the heels of that scandal about secret meetings and using, you know, consecutive meetings of one person less than a quorum, but still involving a quorum in the serial meetings to try and get around the whole public meetings law. So they could prearrange how the budget was going to be written and make sure that they got their their political staff hired by the county while at the same time shutting down jail beds that protect our, our public from harm. Any way you look at that, the fact that we did all that on something that was in such intense interest to the public and even more intense interest to our employees outside of public session is bad. You know, the, we, the board just sort of realized that fairly quickly. I brought it up in the executive session and basically, you know, my concerns were kind of swept under the rug and blown off. And that's, you know, my first chance to bring it up in public session, though, wasn't until three weeks later, unfortunately, because I sure wish I could have brought and brought the thing up to light prior to the county actually going public with the vaccine mandate, because maybe that might have changed some things. But, uh, you know, here we go again. There seems to be something about having a progressive majority on Lane County commissioners that lead to a lack of transparency. You know, it was a progressive majority that was the book club. And here we go again, making decisions in closed door meetings. And then even voting against what should have been an easy vote. Didn't have to agree that we had a violation of public meetings law. And if there's nothing to hide, why not make the meetings public? Commissioner Buck. Why did you vote against that motion? Do you not support transparency? Do you have something to hide? You know, first actions as a commissioner, and this was terrible. My first year or so as a commissioner, I spent more time in executive sessions settling lawsuits that started before I became a commissioner whether it was the employees and youth services that were suing over um, hostile work environments and harassment. Thank you, Rob Handy, again, uh, which we settled for quite a bit of money. 
before it was settling the dumb die suit, which cost the county between the settlement and the legal fees to defend those guys, a million and a half taxpayer dollars. You can understand why I'm pretty damn sensitive about this issue. And at the same time, I watched as Commissioner Handy and Commissioner Sorensen were found by the judge to have willfully violated, knowingly and willfully violated the law because they had two separate actions that, that violated the law and, and in between had had, tra- had been told they were violating law. And it was documented in the court case. And because of that, they personally, as part of the settlement, it could have been worse, but they agreed to this because they realized it was the the least they were going to escape with, had to come out of their own pockets for $20,000. So I don't want to be anywhere near a violation of public meetings law because it'd be really hard after settling all those cases and the fact that I was sued unsuccessfully for the same thing a while later by Commissioner Handy and and one of his friends in, in a try and get, you know, get back gotcha sort of lawsuit, which was a foolish suit and got thrown out. But still, I don't want my savings account, my house, the principal, you know, value of my house, the equity I have up for grabs because whether knowingly or not, made a decision in executive session outside of the public view, something we're not allowed to do. So I was adamant that we had to make those tapes public. We had to do it as soon as possible. I was a little bit angry. They pushed me back from emergency business to the end of the board meeting at the end of the day when very few people would be watching. Hmm, think that was strategic a little bit? Was that transparent? I mean, they they claimed it was because they didn't think it was an emergency and they had a really crowded agenda and all that stuff. Yet, during that meeting, the chair allowed discussion under the motion for our consent calendar, which specifically says right in the consent calendar that these items aren't for discussion. They're voted on as a block with no discussion. So we had time to let Commissioner Trigger talk about one of the things on the consent calendar, but we didn't have time for my emergency motion. That had to come at the end of the meeting when no one's watching. (sighs) I hope this is the last we have to talk about public meetings law here in Lane County again. But I hope people maybe want, might want to ask Commissioner Buck and Commissioner Trigger why they voted against making that meeting public. I do hope people will listen and watch the videos because they'll get to hear where their commissioners were and maybe some of their reasoning behind why they support requiring their employees to get a medical procedure. Mind you, these are probably the same people that would object to various laws that control people's bodies. So I I just, hard to be in a good mood when you sit through that.
And on top of that, yesterday, right before lunchtime, more or less dragging us into lunch because we went way too long talking about homeless stuff, which was another occasion where the chair basically at the beginning of the item admonished the, the presenters that they only had a half hour, basically 25 minutes into it, told the presenter, oh, don't worry about time. We'll, we'll, we'll give you all the time you need. Plenty of time to talk about homeless, but we don't have time to talk about, you know, whether or not the board might have violated the law and made themselves personally liable. Now, got to push that off to the end of the meeting. Nothing to see here. Don't watch. But right before lunch, after we talked about homeless stuff, which, again, I asked the question and still have not received clear data, and no one seems to be able to provide me good data, I want to understand if there's been an upsurge in people coming to our area from outside the state or outside our area to be homeless, so to speak. Because it seems like we've got this massive explosive explosion of homeless people camping in our community. At the same time, there was a eviction moratorium in place. It doesn't compute unless you're getting people coming from outside the area. And why are they coming from outside the area if they are? I want to understand that because everyone's talking about, oh, we should be doing this or we need to be doing that. and We want to spend money here and there. I want to understand what the problem is, what's driving it. Is, are we growing these people locally? Are we hooking people on drugs? Or, or is our housing too expensive and they're losing their housing financially? Is that the dri main driver? Is it the fact that we have a horrible mental health system in this state that doesn't get people in the door very well? You know, what is it that's driving us? Or are we, you know, through our Measure 110 and our, our you know, interpretations of the Boise decision by the Ninth Circuit and our interpretations of the CDC guidelines around COVID and homeless people, are those things attracting, making us an attractive place for people to come? And then because they're coming here, we're suddenly putting out a bunch of services to try and help people be more comfortable in non-standard housing. You know, what, what's the real issue? Give me some good data. I want to understand. I could understand five years ago. We had really good survey work done and good background work done to understand that most of our homeless five years ago came from Lane County. We were growing our own. And there was good reason for it. And, you know, part of it's the high cost of housing, which doesn't, hasn't seemed to gotten any better. And and seems like sometimes our board works against that. We'll talk about floodplain stuff maybe later. <laughs> High cost of housing is one and, and limited availability of housing, but it's not the major driver. The major driver behind our, our homeless situation is mental health, whether it's drug addiction or just pure mental health issues, chronic mentally ill. And they get interacted a lot of times. 
people that are turned to drugs quite often are self-medicating some other issue. But once they get on the drugs, they start ruining some of their brain pathways, particularly meth is horrible about, you know, eventually causing psychosis. And it's a, it's a spinning cycle of, of downward spiral between the mental health and drug issue. Alcohol's in, in there too. Probably the most major driver. But if there's a driver now starting to happen where we're being an attractant from other areas and states and we're, and then we're saddling our community with the cost of supporting those people in some fashion, we need to understand that. And I've asked now, this is the third time we've had one of these presentations on the homeless situation. It's the third time I've asked for that data. I still don't have it. But moving on from there to the agency that's supposed to be supplying low-cost housing for everybody, Homes for Good, which is, you know, one of the things people you know, that used to be, um, you know, HACSA, you know, housing, you know, and, and community services. Uh, basically, it's Lane County's local housing authority that was, that was generated from HUD. The county authorized that in 1949. It's had several names over the years. It's now called Homes for Good. But there's a reason why housing authorities have to be set up through a local government like Lane County. The idea was there would be a local elected board that would be accountable for all the federal money that would come in with the housing authority. So what did the board do? Another way of getting away from transparency and, and, and accountability, they approved a set of bylaws to change the makeup of the board members for the housing authority. Prior to this change, it was the five elected county commissioners plus two appointed resident commissioners, you know, folks that are living in, in the housing which makes some sense. So there's some lived experience to, to inform the board in making decisions around housing authority issues. But the majority of the control is the board of commissioners and we are answerable directly to the public. We have to run for reelection or we can be recalled. We have, you know, we have to see the public and, and all that. They changed the bylaws to get it down to just two commissioners appointed from the board. So only two people on that board are going to be elected. And they expanded the board to nine positions. And they're going to appoint community members to the board. Non-elected, non-accountable people. Now, I voted against this. I was outvoted four to one. Seems to be a common thing that happens a lot of times purely because I don't like the idea of removing that, that accountability for the tens of millions of dollars that they spend annually that are tax-funded money, state money, federal money, even some local monies have gone into projects they manage, like the MLK Commons project. 
elected official oversight is important. It's one of the reasons I have such a huge issue with the Lane Transit District. Yes, it's got a board that runs it and hires and fires the executive director for the Transit District, but they're all appointed by the governor who sits in, in Portland most of the time runs out to wineries occasionally while we're having heat waves. How accountable is the LTD board to the businesses locally that are paying the payroll taxes to support LTD? To the regular citizens that are paying the federal income taxes that come back down to LTD to buy $1 million electric buses? no accountability to the local citizens. We can't recall one of those board members. We have no influence over who gets appointed. Friends of Kate, that's what that board is. And now we're getting towards that direction with our local housing authorities gonna become friends of elected officials that you can hold accountable won't even have a majority on that board anymore. I mean, almost every other organization around this area that has tax dollars moving in and out has elected officials on it, and they usually hold enough seats to control the decision-making to a certain extent, whether it's Lane Regional Air Protection Agency, whether it's the Metro Waste, Metropolitan Wastewater Management Commission, whether it's LCOG, you know, whether it's our Human Services Commission, there's elected officials, usually making up a, a quorum of that and, and a majority of those of those governing bodies for those joint joint bodies. I just can't understand the desire to dilute that local accountability with our housing authority. But, you know, transparency and accountability be damned. If we're going to do things in closed-door meetings, we're going to remove the accountability away from things uh, and just keep going that direction. <sighs> Which leads me to, the, to today. I didn't get to put this into my post about the uh, the show coming on because this is rather new. We just got out of our meeting a little afternoon, um, and in that meeting got extended because we we're doing our annual review of our county council. Now, the Board of Commissioners only has three direct reports that we hire as a group, the county administrator, county council, and the performance auditor who we've purposely left open because we, you know, there's some decisions whether that's even a, a necessary position or it could be actually, con, you know, performance auditing can be contracted. Um, and it has a kind of sketchy history where we had one really good one and we had one that kind of wasn't all that hot, um, at least in recent history. So we really only have two employees. 
two employees at the board interact with quite a bit and interacts with their staff at, on a daily basis and everything. So, it's, you know, shouldn't be surprised, you know, that we, we know these two employees really well um, and understand their performance really well. Last year, we gave our county council and exceeds expectations rating on his annual review and renewed his contact track for the following year. That was done on a 5-0 vote, including Heather Buck. Now, fast forward to today, and we come out into public session to talk about the annual review, which the 360 review, which I don't know how many people have been in organizations big enough to have 360 reviews where you get people that are above and below you and, and parallel PERS and customers and whoever to, to fill out surveys about your capabilities and, and, and various things. Uh, and depending on how they do it, they're usually scored. But 360 review was done uh, of uh, our county council ranked him as exceeds expectations. The board all ranked, did the same sort of ranking, and that ranking came out to be satisfactory because one of the board members specifically rated him as a, you know, we had a one, two, three, four scale where on the various things you could be one, one is, is uh, not satisfactory and four was exceeds expectations um, and uh, three was sat uh, satisfactory and I think two was needs improvement um, ranked in every category so her combined score came out as a one trying to rig the averaging of the other scores where everybody actually scored them more realistically um, so no one gave them all fours. But even with that attempt to draw the average down, he still scored a satisfactory, which says his contract should be renewed and you should move on. But despite that, Commissioner Buck made a motion to terminate our county council in 60 days. Motion failed four to one with her on the losing end of a four one vote. But, um, you know, Commissioner Trigger also spoke to dissatisfaction with the county council. And all I can think is this is a person that's gotten glowing reviews from the, his peers, his direct reports, the department heads, the community. You know, members who interacted with judges, uh, other attorneys uh, in his 360 review. My experience is this is one of the most competent, hardworking people you can ever imagine. So what's driving the sudden decision to, to oust our county council? Was there some kind of secret meeting, maybe? where direction's been provided? Who's behind that? 
I felt really bad for county councils having to sit there and be quiet and listen to some of what was being said. Some of it quite unfair. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, county councils aren't easy to come by. Good attorneys are difficult to come by. And one with the wide ranging, broad knowledge that, that Steve Dingle has. I mean, he's one of the people that's turned to by other county councils to ask questions from across the state. The guy's a rock star legally. He's also a rock star in running our county council office. It's been stable. It has changed the way the counties run over the years. Like I said at, at, you know, early on in this thing, I spent a lot of my first year to year and a half to almost two and a half years settling lawsuits that started prior to me being a commissioner because things were just being run so poorly. One of the things I found out when I started as a commissioner was there wasn't a consistent training program for managers and supervisors at Lane County. Steve Dingle helped implement a program called Managing Within the Law that all managers and supervisors now go through at Lane County that completely changed our experience in employee relations and lawsuits. And it wasn't so much, you know, turning each one of our supervisors into attorney. Part of it was just teaching them that if they had a question, call somebody. Don't take an action without understanding all the consequences. Call the, the county council office, call HR, and, and make sure you're on good sound footing before you move forward when it comes to whoever you're supervising or even interacting with other supervisors. And after implementing those programs, our grievances from our employees dropped in number significantly and the level you know grievances you know in our labor contracts get settled at different levels you know they they get elevated as 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 they get more you know they can continue to be elevated and appealed up the 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 level they were they were dealt with and closed out was much further down the appeals level so less of them less time involved in it Who's responsible for that? Steve Dingle. Same time, we were having a horrible time with our workman's comp and the amount of money it was costing us. Worked really hard on risk management in that area, and we have one of the best experience ratings now in workman's comp. It, it, I can go on and on with various places where he, he looked at how much we were spending for outside counsel and determined it would actually be better in some cases to have a attorney on staff to do that kind of work than it is to get billed from a, a, a law firm. Saved us millions of dollars in legal counsel fees. That's your tax money over and over and over again. There are things that, that his management of that 
department has saved Lane County taxpayers money, has helped improve the work environment for all of Lane County employees, yet for some reason, somebody's pulling the strings in the background, it seems like, or suddenly decided we need his head. He's got to go. Now, it, we didn't approve getting rid of him now, but basically we walked out of our public meeting with um, offering him a six-month contract extension so that we could do an an, his annual review six months instead of a year. Um, I'm not quite sure what that's going to accomplish, uh, but it just it was pretty obvious to me that the three progressive members of our board were were pretty close to ready to just terminate him today, and I just can't understand what the cause is. So here you go from closed door meetings about vaccine mandates to making a, a housing authority less accountable to the voters to suddenly taking somebody that has gotten rock star level, you know, reviews from everybody but three board members um, suddenly without seeming, seeming like there's got to be some kind of outside influence that that suddenly changed. Um, you know, I, I, I just, it's making me concerned that, you know, there's something going on. Of course, you know, this whole thing about doing things without a lot of transparency and suddenly seems to be coming down from Washington, D.C., to the governor's office, to Lane County. You know, uh, vaccine mandates with no rules, so no one knows what's going to happen, done by executive order, you know, mostly to try and distract from the embarrassment that Afghanistan is, to the governor now is saying that certain state employees will actually have an extra six weeks to get their vaccines, uh, came out in the news today. We just, it's so strange what's going on, the environment we're in right now. Redistricting <laughs> at the state level where Speaker Tina Kotek, that wants to be our governor, suddenly declares that the deal is off with the Republicans, the one that, that, that kept them from walking out of the state house last session and, and was based on the fact that there was going to be some even, you know, representation on the uh, making of the new districts and that the Democrats were actually going to work with the Republicans. Nope, that's all out the door now. Deal breaking doing things behind closed doors, dictatorial decision-making without a whole lot of authority. I, you know, I just don't like the direction this is all going. Hard to stay up. You know, I have forgotten something. I've forgotten to remind people that we do take call-ins. <laughs> I'm so wound up about all this, I'm forgetting that we are a call-in show. 
And if you want to get in and talk about any of this stuff, or if you want to just talk about whatever you want to talk about, 646-721-9887 is the number to call. Just press one so we know you want to get on the conversation again. That's 646-721-9887. Just press one, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. So I went through a lot there. <laughs> I didn't even get into the, 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 the floodplain stuff that went on the other day, which, you know, I wish we could have fixed more, but I'm happy we're fixing what we're going to fix. And I did get the board to agree to put an emergency clause on it. So we're going to come back on the 20, um, the 12th of October and, and put the floodplain to bed for a little while. And I got the board to agree to maybe come back and visit it again later on because we didn't fix everything that's wrong with the code, mostly that I told them was going to be a problem when they adopted it last December. Um, I, I enjoyed my I told you so moment when they pulled the entire section out of uh, for comp compensatory storage. Um, the same people that are so concerned about the homeless so concerned about, you know, trying to, to, you know, make sure they're they're comfortable and they're treated humanely and everything else. Don't get the fact that every time they make it harder to build a home, they're creating more homeless. Whether it's in how complex you make your floodplain regulations to, you know, all the, the, the various things they, they try and do to, um, just add complexity, left and right. Minimum wage laws, you name it. It just doesn't seem to compute for people how they're increasing the price of housing. It's interesting that Oregon, prior to the pandemic, ranked the ninth highest housing cost or housing burden in the nation. Doesn't surprise me. I know everybody thinks Senate Bill 100 was a wonderful thing, but that's one of the major drivers of the housing burden in the state. Uh, but now for something completely different. It's, uh, and now I'm aging myself also. Uh, I want to change topics really fast to something that, that I've just, I posted about this on Facebook. I just have to say it because every time, and I am not somebody that promotes a lot of false information about vaccination or COVID. I'm usually putting out information trying to convince people how serious COVID is and, you know, that the vaccines are effective and they're a great stat strategy to protect your, your health. Every time I put a post out that either has the word COVID in it or vaccine, I get a warning posted on my post, you know, from Facebook, you know, for information, you know, or whatever. And if you know too much about it, sometimes you get a little note saying, "Be careful, you may be you may be violating, you know, Facebook's community standards or whatever else." That said, they have absolutely no problem. Letting these these faux 
sites put up memes that ask questions or, you know, prompt you to respond that are data mining. You know, it's like that's okay to, to try and get information that could be used to hack your bank account. But if you mention the word vaccine, even in support of the vaccine, they throw this warning on you. But I would just want to say that, please, stop sharing these stupid questionnaires and, and dumb questions on Facebook like, you know, if your wedding was being planned by the cast of the last show you watch, who would be planning your wedding? Well, you know what you're doing? You're telling some group of marketing firms that's developing a database what show you watched last. And you're encouraging all your friends to tell those people that stuff and give up that information. So they combine that information with also the, you know, the question, you know, tell me you've never really had a DUI and, uh, you know, all those other crazy things that are out there. Uh, the youngest in the family is always the best looking, you know, and, you know, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's not true or whatever. You're giving up your order. You were in the siblings of your family. All those little things get put in the databases. You know, what was the first car you ever drove, you know, or, or you know, where were you when you ever went over 100 miles an hour, you know, all sorts of things. What's the one place you would never visit again? Yeah. All that stuff gets put into databases and your, your responses. They understand kind of how that fits certain personalities and profiles. So they, they, you know, you wonder why ads look like you just thought about that and now you're getting an ad for it because you kept answering all those stupid questions. But some of them are really meant to hack you. Your order coming into heaven is the last three digits of your phone number. You just gave up the last three digits of your phone number. You know, it's like, how, how much more information you want, you know, you know what color shirt, you know, your, your secret, you know, um, superhero name is the color of your shirt and the last thing you ate. Telling them color preference and your eating preferences. Stop. All, you know, look at, they're coming from the same, you know, five or 10 sites, more or less cooking or whatever it is. And, and Eagle 90.6 radio, which probably doesn't exist anywhere in the real world. You know, it's all, you know, because they're produced by somebody like that, every time somebody shares that or comments on that meme, they get a notification through Facebook. And if they've got decent soft, you know, wear writing skills, that immediately dumps your your screen name or your Facebook name and whatever your answer was into their little database that, that calculates your profiles. And, and, you know, eventually they build enough information that, Every ad you get seems to be, be something you were just thinking about. Amazing. It also generates a lot of information that can be sold on the dark web to try and hack you. Stop sharing that stuff. Don't answer the questions. 
referred to chumming or chum bucket, trolling, you know. And that is my public service announcement for the day. How to avoid being targeted for marketing or getting hacked. Don't answer stupid questions on Facebook. Don't share them. Yeah, your answer might be funny, but you know what? It's still data points on you that you that that company never knew before. And I see Robin. You love uh, those too, don't you? <laughs> uh, Jay, this is your producer. Uh, you got to be careful about giving out false information, otherwise the warning flag's going to come up. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm probably sure the next time I get on Facebook, I'm going to get, you've been violating community standards by exposing how we make money. <laughs> because you know what? I'll bet all those people that put those meme out, memes out and stuff like that are also the same people paying Facebook for their marketing ads and stuff. Uh, but and it, I don't know if people heard the story about Facebook actually was exposed for the fact that they had done their own study that clearly proved that being on Facebook was detrimental to teenagers' mental health. They know that for a fact, yet they don't limit age participation on Facebook. That it causes images, you know, body image issues and esteem issues and depression and all sorts of problems in teenagers. And they know it from their own internal research. Hey, but it makes money. Yep. And it made somebody rich. Few people rich. Oh, well. Well, Facebook. Oh. <laughs> okay, Robin. You have that evil smile on your face. <laughs> oh, I I got a topic that uh, may may get you going a little bit. The was it 20 new electric buses? Oh, well, you, I already mentioned that in passing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 19 point something million dollars for 20 buses. So basically a million dollars a bus and LTDs putting out press releases bragging about the electric buses are coming. Million dollar bus. It works I mean, out to about over $600,000 a bus, roughly. Yeah. Now, how many riders did they carry at a time? You know, how many, you know, if we're concerned about the environment, how many electric scooters could you buy for a million dollars? How many Chevy Volts, although you have to park them 50 feet apart, um, could you buy for a million dollars? Well, when I looked it up before, the EMX hybrid was a just under a hundred thousand, and the white articulated was sixty thousand. Yeah, so you're you're spending ten buses, at least on one bus, 
And I wonder how long it'll be before they have to start parking them 50 feet apart because of the fire hazard. <laughs> but yeah, the, the really thing that just kills me with all this push towards electric vehicles is at the same time, we're going to shift from gasoline-fueled vehicles and diesel-fueled vehicles to this electric, placing additional strain on our grid. We've got people doing things legislatively and in lawsuits that are destabilizing our electric grid and making it more vulnerable to brownouts and blackouts. But we fixed it so you can't buy an Alienware computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can we can bring an electric bus that who knows how much that draws electrical wise, but our new legislation that we passed won't let you get the new Dell, Dell Alienware computers because they draw too much power. Oh my goodness! And I, you know, speaking of Facebook. You know those server farms they keep putting out in eastern Oregon because, you know, they can cool them there and all that with the hydropower off the BPA dams that they want to take out? Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, Well, you know, all those people that love Facebook and and think it's great because they are slapping warnings on all these posts, you know, about, you know, say anything about election fraud in a post, whether it's about really about 20 to 2020 election or not, but just use those two terms in a post, I guarantee you're going to get a warning on your post. <laughs> Put the word vaccine in a post or the word COVID in a post. You're going to get a warning posted on that. But that Sought that that platform and all the servers they have to use to to issue those warnings and run that system. Oh my God! You want to talk about a power user and a generator of carbon into our atmosphere? <laughs> there you go. Um, but we're going to do things like try and not allow any new natural gas infrastructure or hookups in the city of Eugene. Which means we now have to have all electric houses, which is another demand on the electric grid, destabilizing the electric grid, while at the same time requiring, you know, coal plants to go offline, like the Boardman coal plant. It's it just is insane the calamity that's going to happen eventually. We're already seeing it in California to some extent. They are having brownouts tied to their green power mandates because a lot of green power isn't on demand firm power where it's always available, can be spun up and down on demand. You can't do that with wind and solar. You can't say, hey, son, come on out. We need a little bit of extra power because they're plugging in the buses at LTD. That doesn't happen. You can certainly do that with a natural gas-powered plant. You can even do it with hydro. A little bit more water through the turbines than over the dam. But you can't do that with solar. 
can't do that with wind. You can't go, hey, Mr. Wind, it's foggy outside, but we want you to start blowing because <laughs> LTD is plugging in the buses. Those million-dollar buses got half power. Oh, my goodness. That's a med Don't even get me started on what it took to mine and construct a million-dollar bus. What was the carbon footprint for a million-dollar bus? You know, dollars equate usually to carbon on the purchased end of a vehicle to some degree. Oh, here's something to get the greenies started. Um, look what it takes to make rubber for the tires for the bus and all the other vehicles. Maybe we should eliminate tires. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're all run on the rims. Yeah. Of course, steel is steel is massively carbon intensive. You know, which is one of the reasons why I promoted mass timber buildings because they actually are carbon sinks. You put all that mass timber into a building, and it's carbon that was grown in the forest, took in atmospheric CO2, made it into wood, milled it, put it in a building, and it's there for years. Um, on the other side, if you steel and concrete, you, know, you got to put out a lot of carbon into the atmosphere to make steel and concrete. Uh, sometimes people don't think about all that, Robin. And and just a uh, million, yeah, million dollar bus, million dollar bus. Oh, million dollar bus, closed door meetings to make decisions about vaccine mandates, voting against making those closed door meetings public, voting to reduce the accountability of local agencies that have taxpayer input, and then wanting to get rid of one of the most effective public servants in the state without a lot of explanation. Yeah, sorry, folks, I wasn't cheerful, Jay, today, but we'll be back next week. Maybe next week, Jay, will be more cheerful. I didn't even get to talk about jail today. That would have made me more cheerful because they're doing great work in the jail. Time of COVID, and they're just doing an amazing job controlling COVID in the jail but we'll be back next week this same time same bat channel here on krbn internet news talk radio thank you for listening and have a great week 